What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Falls Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we always do. How are you doing, Rich? Uh, uh, <laughs> the age old question. One oh. day I'm not going to ask. I know it's a thing, but Don't like, you dare. no, Don't. I keep thinking, how am I going to change this up? And then I'm like, no, I should probably stick to the same. It's our lifeblood at this point. It's more entertaining than what the Kings are putting on the floor. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm fine. Whatever. It, none of this affects me anymore. Uh, Kings lost large to a very depleted Detroit Pistons team. The Pistons are not a good basketball team. You know, even at full strength, they're lucky to be in the playoff conversation. They're missing their two best players, three best players, really. Uh, and uh, they beat the Kings handily. Yeah, um, embarrassing to say the least, and especially to go in there and really just not give any effort. I like to pretend that the game just ended after that Fox poster. Yeah, that was fun. I saw you like live tweeting and being very positive, and uh, I'm trying, man, was encouraged by that. But then I was just like, oh man, this poor <laughs> you guy. were nowhere to be found on Twitter. Uh, I can't the game emerge. Was going on. <laughs> I emerged from the shadows, like in deep in the fourth, when I was certain it was a. It was an L to have to get my jabs in. Yeah, but there's issues. There's issues for this team. I, I put out a tweet about just how the Kings had a young 39-win team uh, and $40 million in cap space, and they got way, way worse somehow, and that has over 1,000 likes right now. So, yeah, I think oh, well. it's safe to say people are not happy with this team. I noticed that Grant Napier – on his show had like some big emotional fan, whatever said like, come ask your questions. You deserve this. You deserve to have your questions answered. He had Luke Walton on the show and I didn't actually listen to it. Have you heard this? Did you hear this segment today? Yeah, I somewhat um, know the guy. I didn't listen to the segment, but I have followed the guy on Twitter for a while and he's always posting uh video clips of himself with reactions after every game it's nicholas henkel i believe it is i've dm'd him a little bit back and forth asking some pistons questions but yeah apparently he's always been a really big fan of grant um and enjoys listening to the broadcast and yeah grant brought him on i think last year after the buddy game winner and both this year he saw uh nicholas's reactions after the game and yesterday even even the Detroit fan was sitting there talking about how screwed up the Sacramento Kings were. He hardly talked about, about uh, the Pistons, but it was just, man, what is going on with Sacramento? 
Yeah, I saw that video. Um, but I, I mean, I think wasn't the show kind of, uh, did you heard, did you hear his show? Cause I, I heard that he was just taking callers and letting them really get it out, get their frustrations with, uh, the team out there. I um, wish I, I had heard it. Cause I know they interviewed Luke. Right, right, right. I, I don't know. I actually didn't listen to it. I apologize if I don't listen to enough of the Grant Napier show. Uh, I <laughs> think that um, there's a lot of King's content to absorb out there. I can't get to all, but it sounded like, from what I've heard, and I guess this is irresponsible to say, but from what I've heard, it was kind of pitched like that, and it was going to be a good chance for for maybe Grant to be a little bit harsh on the organization. And I've heard that it just didn't come out like that. And it ended up being the same old platitudes, same old responses from Luke, same old uh, defending of the team from Grant. And I did see a quote from him saying that, in his opinion, the Kings will not consider firing Luke Walton until at least the end of next season. So, and obviously that's not a fact or anything, but Grant is very, very plugged in with the Kings organization. So there's some weight you can put into that. Yeah, definitely. It's funny. I had just pulled up that uh, transcription from Kevin as well uh, to read that off. But yeah, that was the quote that I had seen as well. And then I know that, uh, that Matt George just had James Ham on the Locked On podcast not today's episode but yesterday's and asked him the same sort of question do you think there's any chance that Luke's and Vlade's job is in jeopardy right now um, or is it more so uh, you're looking at next season or even the next off season and James Ham said the same thing that you're more so looking at the latter nothing too unexpected but just kind of confirming what we had already thought to be the case yeah, um, I don't know. I had I had thought at a certain point that it. I had started to think for a minute that maybe in the summer changes could be made. I do think that it's getting to a point where something might be done. Um, I don't know. I've never seen a fan base this openly angry at their team's management. Um, but then again, I mean. It, Listen, uh, we're not in Cleveland. I'm sure Browns fans have felt this way. I'm sure there's many other sports teams that have felt this way at times. I'm sure Kings fans have felt this way before. But just from the slice of fandom that I see, it's like pretty, pretty bad right now. And I think at a certain point, you know, we got to accept that teams are businesses and they'll do whatever is best for their bottom line. Um, You know, Walton and Lade make a lot of money, but at a certain point, if the fans turn on them you know and and that affects the ticket sales that affects season ticket holders all that stuff it will eventually the math will even out and they would be gone if that scenario ever did occur so i don't know i feel like that was getting to be more of a possibility but maybe maybe it's just not i mean do you think that this team could just be this bad and frustrating for another year and a half and not have any repercussions in that way Oh man, uh, that's a tough question because, I mean, really we've said it a couple times, it kind of rides on the shoulders of Fox and Bagley. And I think we said it last episode, episode before, I think Bagley specifically is like a three-year project um, and missing a lot of time this year makes that a little bit questionable. So 
I think that Vlade and Luke could both make the argument to Vivek that, you know, I mean, honestly, our time was not right now. Sure, we are definitely underperforming our current expectations, but I think that we're giving guys the the right formula for what's going to make them successful long-term. So I, I don't quite think, despite my crazy percentage I dropped early on in the year of Luke getting fired this year, <laughs> I don't think it's uh, all too likely. I, I'm leaning towards this same way that we've heard uh, Grant say and James Ham say that it's going to take next season. If next season goes the same way as this year, then possibly. Because, I mean, they're also still playing, paying Dave Yeager. I'm sure they don't want to be paying three head coaches. Right. I agree with that last bit for sure. I, although I don't agree with what you were saying before about it being on Fox and Bagley ultimately because I don't really think – this is what we talked about in the last episode. You kind of – you said that it falls on Fox and Bagley to make this team good. And I and there was like a pause in your sentence, and I said I thought you were going to say it falls on Luke Walton to make them good, and I and that's still where I'm at. Where I feel like Fox and Bagley have been a part of a successful, relatively successful team. Certainly a more successful team than what's going on right now. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not saying that they've been in the playoffs before, obviously, but they've been more successful than they are now under a different coaching style, and I think that that does hold some water. And what I'll say is that, you know, you said that Vlade and Walson can go to ownership and say, look, we've done the right things or whatever, whatever. I don't think it's about convincing ownership. I don't think, I think it's about convincing fans. Like if the fans, do you, do you agree with what I'm saying? Like if the fans turn on them and they don't put butts in seats, like that's a, eventually it's a business decision, right? Yeah. I I think that's totally fair. I I think rather than, you know, the wins right now being reliant on Fox and Bagley, more of what I meant was they could argue that, you know, we still have a bright future because these two guys are still on the roster, assuming that uh, they don't get disgruntled themselves, which I mean, if this keeps up, you wouldn't really blame them, but yes, totally understand what you're saying. I mean, Vlade, uh, sorry, um, Vivek seems to be at most games and I'm sure that he hears the noise around, obviously, as the owner of the team. And like you're saying, I mean, season ticket holders start not renewing their tickets and such. Then, yes, it, it definitely does become a business decision. And, I mean, yeah, the way it's looking right now, um, you know, lost six in a row, 15 of the last 18. Um, and, and, I mean, when you're losing to Minnesota without Cat double overtime, New Orleans, Miami without Butler in overtime. You mentioned Detroit without probably their three best players and Drummond Griffin and Luke Kennard. Um, and eight of those losses being by five points or less is probably one of the most frustrating things. Like a lot of these were winnable games. And the three wins they have of those 18 are against Phoenix, Golden State, and Phoenix has been terrible recently, and Memphis that they was the only game that they won that was within a five points during that time stretch. So as of this year, so I, I don't want to get off into the weeds about demanding that someone be fired because I think that that is, for me personally, I think it's like it's too far for me in any public forum to say that I think that anyone should lose their job without them doing something that is like, you know, potentially harmful to another person. So like I, I think that I could give my opinions about how, the, how they're doing and you can extrapolate from that. Um, I don't, but I don't want to 
like demand that anyone lose their job. I think that's just too far for like, you know, a basketball fan or analyst or writer or reporter or any of that stuff. I think it's a little bit too far unless you've got an overwhelming case or it's something where, you know, Hey, this person needs to be fired because they're putting people at risk or whatever, whatever. And that rarely ever happens in basketball. So, uh, but I do want to ask just because we can speak hypothetically, if you were predicting if management would make the decision to fire Luke Walton, what scenario would that happen in? Because I, I don't really see it happening this year. Do you think, because we've, we've tried to predict what ownership may do in the past, and you did have a pretty high number for Walton in terms of a prediction at a certain point. Do you still have, is there any percent chance in your mind, if you had to guess what would happen, that Walton would be fired this year? And what would have to happen for that, for that to occur? Um. Hmm. Well, if Walton's fired, I think Vlade goes with him. They they seem pretty connected to me. They both are on this four-year deal that they had just signed. You know, Vlade had that uh, promise that if the team's not better in two years, then I'll leave. And I guess having one up year kind of saved them here. Um, but yeah, I don't know, because if the team just loses out from here, then you're looking at a really high draft pick. And I think that you could say, okay, we're just adding another piece to Fox and Bagley. Um, so I don't know what it would take for it to happen this year. Um, I just, yeah, I mean, maybe it would take the one of the players going to an owner. Like mainly if you're talking Fox here, I think he's the main piece. Fox or potentially Bagley going to an owner and say, hey, listen, I'm on the verge of not wanting to be here any longer. Um, I don't see things trending in the right direction. I think it would take something from the players sparking and speaking out about it a little bit um, and really just publicly being disgruntled. Not necessarily publicly, actually, but if they were going to ownership and saying that, then maybe that's a possibility. But yeah, I mean, I think if anything, it's probably next year. So I'll put it, I don't know, five, 10%. Like, I think it's just as likely that they make playoffs this year. It's really interesting to bring up that scenario about a player going to management. I don't think Bagley, I don't even think Bagley has the sway to do that just because he's just, just have, his, not, have his dad do it. <laughs> he's just not like played enough and played well enough yet to really hold that sway. But I do think that this franchise and this fan base kind of sees Darren Fox as the team and the, the future and the hope for the team. And I, I think it'd be interesting if Darren Fox went to ownership and said, Hey, listen, it's, it's me or the coach or it's me or the, you know, whatever, whatever and makes these demands behind closed doors in a professional way, just saying, matter of fact, like, listen, I, you know, my contract's ending in a year. Um, I would prefer not to work with these people. Um, and I may take actions to, to make that happen if you're not willing to accommodate me. I wonder. I, I do wonder if, if things would change. I think that is a really, it's a really sound hypothetical for, like, of what might cause that. Um, but I've got another one for you. Let me just throw this out there and tell me, tell me how bad. So there's ten. There's ten games between today and the All Star break. As you just noted, 
the Kings are 3-15 and 15 in their last 18 games. How many games – is there any number of games? What if they lose the next 10 games straight just into the, into the All-Star break? Then they've been 3-25 and 25 over the last 28 games. Is I mean, at that point, it's just – is Walton gone? Is Vlade gone? I mean, like, it may not – I think that you're more looking at a coach firing in that situation than a GM firing, and maybe that, that waits until summer or whatever. But, I mean, at that point, if you're 3-28 and 28, 12, yeah. what was it, 16 game? Yeah, uh, what is it? Yeah, 16 game losing streak at that point. If they lost the I next mean, 10. At that, point, at that point, don't you just fire the coach? Probably, yeah. And, I mean, I think part of a reason you could argue that it'd be a little easier is I think you have another head coach as your assistant in Igor Kokoskov. Absolutely right. This is one thing I wanted to get here. I, I, I was going to say that firing a coach is rarely a good decision in the in mid-year it rarely has ever worked out for anyone it only kind of works in the sense that like it's a signifier to say hey we just we need to move on we need to find a new identity we need it's in this this year is done because that's really what it means this year is over um but it it does make it easier to have igor kakashkov yeah, it does. Um, I, I know he didn't do amazingly in his time in Phoenix, but he was only given one year there, and he has experience being the head honcho. So, yeah, I, I do think it does make it a little bit easier. Um, but if if the players truly are backing Luke the way that the organization presents it, um, then I, I don't know. if. But if they lose 10 in a row, obviously they would – uh, kind of waver with how they're back in Luke here. But yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's really, it's interesting here because they did not seem very happy with the way Jaeger was going about things. Um, but part of the issue I see with, I wouldn't say the issue, but like Fox is the, we've said the leader of this team in regards to talent and his play out there. Like he feels like the key piece. He is uh, not comparing the players, but the importance and the way that they are the focal point of this team. He's the Steph Curry of the Sacramento Kings moving forward. Um, but to me, they don't have a Draymond Green. And I think that they need someone that's going to call guys out on their shit. And I think that Yo- Jaeger, Yoger, I think that Jaeger was that guy last year. And, Talking about Marvin Bagley's dad. Right, Yogurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I, I think that Jaeger was that guy last year, um, and it doesn't necessarily need to come from the coach. But when you go from a guy that is very strict to a quote-unquote player's coach that's going to be nicer to the guys, that like who is going to be the one to get these guys to, to play with the most amount of heart and just hustling and call them on their shit when they're clearly just lollygagging through things, you know, like I think that that could come from a player as well. So, I mean, are you putting that on De'Aaron? No, I'm not. Um, because like my Steph comparison, I think Steph is the, the main guy on the Warriors, but that's just not his personality. And I'm not knocking De'Aaron because, and this is just me saying, obviously what I've seen on the court. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. If De'Aaron maybe is this guy, but it like sometimes you need someone to really not be afraid to get in your face and really tell you, yo, what, like, 
what the fuck are you doing? Like get on your shit pretty much. Well, I have, I have an issue with that analogy because I would argue that only one team in the league has a Draymond Green truly, and it's the Warriors. Well, I think – I don't think so. I, I think you could look at Marcus Smart. I think you could look at Patrick Beverly. Um, I, I think that a lot of teams have that, actually. I don't know. I mean, I, let me – where I was going to go with the other half of that is that Draymond Green does it so much so that he – I think you could reasonably say contributed to the Warriors losing one of the best players in the game off their team. So, I I mean, maybe him calling Kevin Durant a bitch (laughs) is a step too far, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. Draymond's the most extreme example for sure. I get get what you're saying. Um, And Pat Bev is an interesting example that I don't, watch Marcus Smart off the court enough to know if he's in guys' faces, but I feel like there are successful teams that don't have someone who is straight up yelling at people. Like that 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 leadership comes from coaching, that that leadership it comes from accountability in the locker room and all sorts of places. I, I don't know that like if I'm looking at the issues with the Kings franchise, I'm not like, oh man, they need a Draymond Green type to like scream in people's faces. Yeah, I guess the screaming isn't the main part of it necessarily, but I think like, like, God, I'm just I wish someone would call Marvin Bagley a bitch. Like, right. <laughs> that's not what I'm looking for. Not at all. No, right. It doesn't have to be that way. But, but yeah, a guy I mean, I think of Shumper last year. You know, a guy that really is going to keep the guys motivated and approach each guy in a different way. I mean, he's going to be able to realize there's some guys that if you are coming out and calling them a bitch, that's going to motivate them. Some guys you can't do that because it'll make them retreat into a shell and not want to interact with you. But I think that they really could use someone and, and Shumpert was not a positive on the floor last year, but I think his impact in that we could tell in the locker room, giving the team an identity. You heard all the other players talking about him often as a guy that really would pump them up and get them going in the right direction, get the juices flowing a little bit. I think the Kings could use something like that. So I just, I wonder though, like the Kings spent all their cap space. They don't have any really real cap space going forward. They they stood on bets. So, like, if one of them's not going to do it, if it's not Corey Joseph, if it's not Dwayne Deadman, it's not Trevor Reese, we know that for a fact at this point. Like, what I, I just don't understand really is this just a this is a fundamental flaw with the team, and they they can't be good and they can't have accountability. I just, I, I what's the point here? I, I mean, like, what's the actionable? What can they do? Yeah, I mean, somebody could step up and sort of become that, but I, I don't know. I, I think just I'm trying to figure out like what causes you to go out there and just completely flop uh, effort-wise against like what we saw in that Detroit game pretty much. Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. 
Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. So my theory, I think you have a good theory. I think your theory's got strong points. It's probably not the, like, the, the, it's not going to solve everything, obviously, but none of, no right. theory will. My theory, and th- maybe it's the, it's a blend of these two, but my theory is that it's, it's an issue with uh, game plan and approach and uh, clarity of what each player is supposed to do. I think we've seen Buddy Heald become very confused with what his role is on this team. And it's because Walton demands that he guard Trey Young and then he benches him for not guarding Trey Young well, or, you know, so on and so forth. It seems like he's told to take, he, he's, he's been said, you know, Buddy Heald is a neon green light. And then he takes a contested three. We agree, not a good shot, but then he's benched. And it's like, okay, well, it just seems that he's kind of the goalposts are moved for him in a way that he's become confused. And, and he loses confidence in what his role is. And, okay, do I need to do more? Do I need to do less? And it, it becomes confusing. And then, it, I, you know, I think Buddy, Buddy Heald is one example of that but it can go for more players as well. Um, and like so often we just see this offense being stagnant and there's not enough going on. It just feels like the offense is flawed. And when the offense is flawed, guys want to do more and then they're doing too much. And then they don't know if they're supposed to be doing, if the one taking on the responsibility, then it's all on Barnes for like a quarter. Then it's all on this guy. It's like, it just everything doesn't there doesn't feel like there's a cohesive plan and that to me is kind of where it stems from yeah i think that's totally fair and obviously buddy is the perfect example there um i definitely do put a lot of this on walton don't get me wrong um yeah i I totally get where you're coming from there but i think that there's times that player coaches work you know and um but there's just not somebody to really hold these guys accountable because there is times where the system is really the one that fails them, but there's other moments where I feel like some of the blame does need to go towards the players. Like, like again, like that Pistons game. Um, but yeah, I definitely can't deny that Luke uh, has been confusing from an outsider's point of view with the quotes that he says and constantly just running in circles and making the same excuses over and over injuries, reintegrating, uh, trying to get them to learn new things that are going to work in the long run. Um, yeah, I definitely can't deny that Luke is a part of the problem as well. Um, I just was, I guess, attempting to not say it's 100% on him, even though he, I mean, we saw this work last year with a different head coach in place. Well, that's the confusing thing, or or that's, I mean, maybe it's the opposite. That's the one most clear thing is that this group did do better under a different coach. And, you know, you can, we can put whatever excuses we want. And some of them are valid. Some of them are valid to a degree. The injuries have been worse this year. Um, you know, playing at a slower pace is going to explore, explore more flaws, expose more flaws for this team. Some of these are valid excuses to some degree, but at the end of the day, right, what matters to this organization is wins. And when you have the exact same group, because this is something that we maybe don't consider, this is the exact same group minus players that the organization chose not to retain. Like the guys that left this team, 
that was the Kings' choice. Like, Willie Cauley-Stein is the biggest departure from last season. This is a better roster to me. And Amon Shumpert, those, like those guys, the Kings shows, we don't want Amon Shumpert on this team anymore. We don't want Willie Cauley-Stein on this team anymore. Those were conscious decisions. And then they added players that you and I both know were good last year. Um, you know, a reason you can kind of argue, but you and I both know that Corey Joseph was good last year. You and I both know that Dwayne Dedman was good last year. We both know that Rashawn Holmes was good last year and is better this year. So it's the same group plus some, like you said. It's a better roster, and they've won significantly less games. At the end of the day, I think that means something. But I'll get off my theories and like our discussion of what could be going wrong, and I want to get into – today I want to talk, and again hypothetically, because I'm not going to sit here and tell the Kings what they must do. Um, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that in the position that I'm in. But what I'll, I'll ask you is what would happen if the Kings decided to, to give up on this year and try to get better? It, it's tanking. The word is tanking. It's a dirty word, the T word. Let's talk about it. Because let's say, I don't know if they need to lose all next 10, 10 games for Luke Walton to be moved on from, but in my opinion, you can't tank in Luke Walton's first year or does that is what I'm saying. Let me back that up even further. What is tanking? Like by your definition, what is tanking? Um, it's just pretty much saying we are playing for the future um, that, you know, we're developing young talent with the understanding that that is not going to lead to wins right now. It's playing Justin James over Kent Bazemore or Trevor Ariza it's playing Harry Giles over Anthony Tolliver, Dwayne Dedman. Um, it, it's playing your young guys and knowing that there is a very good possibility and more than likely that means that you are losing games. And that also means that you're going to be getting a higher draft pick, obviously, come lottery time. I think that's a lot of what people associate tanking with, but a lot of it also is just getting reps for your young guys on the court. I think you see Atlanta doing it. Um, they really went with, I guess you could say like a tanking off season. I mean, if you look at their roster, when you're playing, when you're giving so many minutes to Deandre Hunter, Cam Reddish, Trey Young, Kevin Herter, and John Collins, like that is your core. And they're all what, like 23 and under. I think that that is going to cause you to lose games. So to me, tanking really is just working on developing young talent and, I mean, it, it is revolving around that traffic. If you have guys that are clearly causing you to just win, you know, seven games throughout the year, then you would ship them off because that's going to lower your draft pick, but it's also not going to get you in the playoffs. Um, and I think that's kind of why we're talking about this here is because, say, Sacramento does kind of – have a nice second half of the year more than likely they're still not in the playoffs and it just means that um, you just have an even worse draft pick so if you're gonna be in the lottery if you're not completing for the playoffs and you're already going to be in the lottery you almost want to optimize what you're going to get by getting the highest draft pick um, and some minutes to your younger guys here yeah I think that's a great it's a it's a perfect explanation of what tanking is the reason I ask is that, and I knew you weren't going to say this, but I, I want people to understand that it's not intentionally losing games. No one does that. 
No one does that. No one tries to lose games. But even if the front office is is trying to, no player goes out there and tries to lose. Well, even then, I don't even know if any front office tries to lose games. They just pri- they they deprioritize winning to the point where, like like you said, play Justin James thirty minutes in a game and play Kent Bazemore zero because right. he will be a part of your plans for the future. But he but the the how much a player will help you win this year goes to zero. But it's not that you're sending your players onto the court saying, Hey, lose this game. That will never happen. Like the, the, even the GMs or whatever, no one will ever have machinations of like, I am trying to get this team to lose this specific game tonight. It's just thinking it's moving when you want the wins from now trying to win now and into trying to win later. And the way you described it is perfect. I, I agree with all the points you made. And I guess my first question about it is, do you think this team can, begin to tank with Luke Walton as the head coach? Um, yes. Uh, I think that the offseason is really what put this them in this weird situation, though. Like, they signed all these guys that are supposed to help you win right now. Um, and most of these teams that you're talking about taking, I mentioned Atlanta. Um, if you look at, like, New Orleans, I think pulling Zion yesterday is a good example of worrying about the future rather than wanting to win right away. Um, it's a very short example. That's one specific game. I think they probably would have won if they kept Zion in, but they're worried about the future because that's when this team has potential. Um, so I, I think that they, they could. And I mean, the way that they're going right now, they practically already are tanking. Um, I mean, like I said, I think you could get more minutes towards Justin James and I would say Harry Giles, but he's not going to more than likely not going to be part of the future of this team. But when you have Harrison Barnes, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Buddy Heald, guys that you really want to be taking advantage of in the next two, three years, I mean, they're practically entering their primes. Harrison Barnes is in his prime at this point. That's what make it, makes it difficult, is you don't have this entire young core. You have two young players. So you said that they're practically tanking now, the Sacramento Kings. Do you really think that's true? Um, no, I, you're right. Uh, they're not. But I'm more so meant that uh, if you look at where they are in the standings, it feels like they uh, – hmm. no, they're not tanking because the, the way that I had explained it of focusing on the future, I don't quite think is their thought process. I know Luke has said that a bit. Um, but no, we would see minutes to, to Justin James. We would have saw Winyan Gabriel minutes. So it, it does, it does not feel like they're intentionally doing this, but they do keep falling in the standings is all I meant by that. Right. No, that's a good point. They, they are, they're, well, I mean, and that's not even thinking they're just doing, they're getting the worst of both worlds where they're trying desperately to win and they're failing. Um, and that's really a bad situation when you're playing Tolliver and Bazemore and, you know, I mean, guys that Tolliver isn't helping this team. He's not a part of this team's future. Um, you can make an argument that the Kings may consider re-signing Bazemore at a small amount if they want to act as an over-the-cap team um, and find an offer that works. It's possible. But in terms of, like, the real future-facing 
decisions for this team. He's not, he's not part of it. Justin James should get more than two minutes if this team is quote unquote tanking. And I don't know. I don't think that this team can tank with Luke Walton in charts. I don't think that there's a way to get him on board for that because Luke Walton is so into playing veterans and he's so into doing his thing, which is not particularly like, I don't really even know what his thing is. It's but. so against what he says that they're playing for the long term, but he's playing all these guys that are supposed to help right now. Right. He gave Trevor Reese 25 minutes a night. And then he says that, that they're like, that's the, that's what's so frustrating about Walton is that nothing he says lines up with anything he does. Like he, We'll talk about pace, and then they'll, they'll play the opposite way of, the, of what he talked about regarding pace. Like, he'll say they're trying to play fast, and they play slow. So they're trying to play, play slow, and they'll play fast. And it's he'll say that they're preaching defense, like defense, defense, defense. And then they give up – they average, like, you know, 120 points per game scored against them. It's – none of it makes sense to me. Um, he says that Buddy Heald is making huge strides as a defender, and then he's benching him for a bad defense. And it's like, I don't understand what's going on. But – I don't think that Luke Walton would ever be down for that. I don't know that they could ever go to him and say, hey, listen, you're not playing to Oliver anymore. Like, sorry, he's 34 years old. He's not part of our future. You're not playing to Oliver anymore. I don't think they can go to him and say, hey, play Justin James 20 minutes a game because we are trying to build for the future. I think that he desperately wants to win now, and he doesn't seem to be able to do that either. I don't know. I, I think that if this team were to truly tank, it means making some trades. It means prioritizing young guys. And I think that it probably would be easiest to do for the Kings under a new coach. I think it, it, it's, it, I know it's going out on a limb, but I, I think that if the Kings were to go in full tank mode, they would bring, they would promote Kakashkov and let Walton go and say, it didn't work. It didn't work with Luke. Um, and you're going to have to give us, you know, a season, maybe a season and a half to focus on the young guys. This time we promise that they'll actually get playing time. Then I think the Kings try to move Bielitsa. I think they, you know, try to move Joseph, honestly. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, they may even at that point. Was that next year you were talking about? Or this uh, year? This would be Bielitsa. I know you're just kind of hypothetical here, but. I mean, it's it's hypothetical. But I'm, I'm I'm just thinking, like, in terms of the hypothetical of like, if the Kings decided we are tanking and we we this year is over for us, we need to look to the future. We need to be better in the future and not worry about now. Then I think this move would make sense now, if that's their goal. Yeah. So the guy that is really interesting to me, if that is the case, is Rashawn Holmes, um, because I think obviously Holmes has been phenomenal this year. I saw a funny tweet the uh, the other day. I wish I knew who it was so I could give credit of there have been so many people saying imagine what this team would be without Rashawn Holmes and what do you know they're the worst team in the NBA without him um but I think that we've said plenty of times that we don't feel like him and Bagley coexist and are able to optimize each other and we've also said that Bagley is a pretty much the x factor of the future of this team does Rashawn Holmes get in the way of the development of Mark Marvin Bagley um I actually don't think that he does um, and I think that Rashawn Holmes is young enough. And I think that you also want to have some decent players on a rebuilding team. Um, we've seen teams that go too far into tanking where it may hinder their future development. 
Um, the Hawks might be a case like that where they just they don't have enough on the floor to even really develop guys because like they can only get Trey Young so far until like okay now Trey has to learn how to win but he doesn't have the pieces to win and then you're looking at okay well you know Alex Len is his center and there's not much behind that and it's like okay well now they need they want to add a center and it's now they're having to move backwards they may need to surrender assets in order to get him enough pieces to continue to develop yeah and you know this would be very different if memphis wasn't so hot recently um but what would you think of say like you know i mean if you just wanted to get young of the Memphis pick this year in exchange for Rashawn Holmes? That is such an interesting question. Has someone brought this up to you or have you seen it on Twitter? No, I just thought of this uh, today because the, I mean, the Celtics are the ones that own that pick. They have this whole at the center position and Rashawn Holmes is a matchable salary. Yeah. I'll say I don't want to call them out. So I don't know if they've brought it up publicly, but I have a buddy that's been messaging me this exact trade for uh, a long time has been discussing it with me and asking if, if they think the Celtics would trade Memphis's pick uh, this for this season. It, it would be likely to convey this season. It is pre- protected one through six, one through six. Yeah. But um, perhaps you have a better answer than I do. You think, do you think that the Celtics would do that? Hmm. Um, I do because they're very win now in the amount of young guys that they have on on their bench that really just aren't doing it for them. I think that he the the defensive steps that Holmes has taken this year is what makes that a yes for me, paired with Memphis overperforming expectations. I mean, they don't have any reason to be losing and they clearly are going out there and playing that way they, they're on a nice stretch right now and the pick's not as good as they likely thought it was going to be um so i think that boston would give it some really strong consideration um but sacramento's point of view i mean holmes is kind of this diamond in the rough that you found and you're getting rid of harry giles you're getting rid of holmes it's like again if we're going back to the argument of the fan base does that almost a it, it does that come into consideration here as well when Holmes is like practically your best guy on the team this year? Well, I'll stay with the Boston side of things for a minute because I've been really adamant with this person. I'll have to message them after this and and shout them out on Twitter and and talk about it with them openly if they're willing to do so. But um, I've been very adamant that I don't think that Boston would do that um, and. To be fair, this conversation was had a couple of weeks ago when Memphis wasn't quite as hot as they are now. They've actually cooled off a little bit losing the last couple of games. But, yeah. I mean, just a few weeks ago, Memphis was not in the eighth seed. Um, they're actually not in the eighth seed anymore right now. They, San Antonio moved ahead of them. But, um, you know, Memphis was projected to be like a bottom three team this year. Um, and I think that there's actually a decent chance that they regress a little bit. Like you said, they're playing above expectations. They're only 20 and 24. They're only, you know, a few games out of being a top 10 pick 
Uh, and if they were to end up in the top six or, you know, just be in the lottery and move up in the lottery, which we just saw a team do last season, uh, move up a lot in the lottery, then that pick becomes protected. And then it becomes a completely unprotected pick next season, which is a pretty big deal to have an unprotected first round pick out there for a team that's really not expected to do, you know, big things during the regular season. Like maybe they scrape by into the eighth seed, but I don't know. I mean, this pick could be, you know, easily could be the the number 10 pick in the draft, right? Yeah. um, I think that's kind of about where I would place it realistic as like a realistic best almost. I mean, I think it could be a little bit higher. I mean, especially considering lottery odds, but I mean, 10th best odds here um, because the bottom of the East, there's just going to be a lot of teams that they're not going to be worse than, you know, and then in this Western conference, they're in this tier of San Antonio, Portland, Phoenix, and New Orleans. And I think that Phoenix is trending downwards, but those other teams could, uh, they could pass them here. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, I'm going to have to pitch it to some of my, some of my uh, Celtics followers and kind of get their thoughts on this, but I would give it some pretty hard consideration because I think that the, the, the massive hole that's at the center spot as good as Daniel Tice has been for the Celtics this year um, could be if they feel like that is enough to get them in championship contention this year with the, just parody throughout the league, then maybe that's enough, you know? And I mean, do you feel that way? If you, I mean, the Lakers are out there, right? The Clippers are out there, even though they're struggling a little bit, the Bucks are 39 and six. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, it doesn't make them the favorite, right? Like even say Rashawn Holmes in all his glory is his best self. I don't think it, it makes them, any better than like a borderline, you know, top three team at bet. Like it makes them maybe three to five in the league. Yeah. But I mean, I think that when you get to, I I remember hearing Daryl Morey, I think it was on the Woj pod last year saying that once you reach the conference finals, I mean, anything can happen from there. So if they think it's enough to very comfortably put them, not very comfortably, but they feel like it will put them in that conference finals, which they're pretty close to. I mean, anything could happen from that point, you know, like if the Lakers are obviously a clear one and I think they have guys that could slow LeBron, but no answer answer for Anthony Davis. And I think that Rashawn Holmes could help with that. I'm not saying necessarily that he is the lone answer to Anthony Davis at all. Um, but it's a guy that is going to slow him down a lot more than anyone else they have on the roster. So I think that it's a unique situation because they have such a gaping hole at the center position and seem to really have everywhere else covered aside from maybe a little bit of a bench spark. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's really, maybe I'm getting, we're getting too far into a Celtics podcast right now, but I don't know that it like close, it really closes any gap between them where they are now in, in the likelihood of them getting into the Eastern conference finals. Like, they're already like pretty close to that line, right? Like Miami's in the two spot, Toronto in the three, Boston in the four, but that's all separated within a couple of games. I don't know that Rashawn Holmes add to that team makes it like it's a no brainer. It's the Bucks one 
Celtics too. It still feels like they're going to have to play either Miami or Toronto, maybe Indiana, and, and, and beat that team. It doesn't make it necessarily – I guess my, my, my larger concern is say you get the number 10 pick with that, that draft spot from Memphis. Or, and it, you can even say if you want to for purposes of, of making it more conservative, say it's the, the number 14 pick. Like say that that pick is, you know, or even 15, dead center in the first round. That's still a player that you, you ha- that has a lot of promise, even in a weak draft, has a lot of promise, and you get that player for four years cost-controlled and then the rights to, you know, you essentially get that player the first two, two contracts, whereas Holmes, you get him for one and a half years. And I don't think that the Celtics could resign him, and probably it's not going to put them in an advantageous position to resign him. They, if he if he breaks out and is truly great, they won't be able to resign him. And if he doesn't, then they wouldn't want to. I don't know. It just seems like a short term for long term thing there. Part of what gets me though is that where do they find the minutes for this number ten pick? He's not more than likely not an impact guy right out the gates. I mean, you're looking at like they just picked Romeo Langford uh, number fourteen, and I guess he's slowly starting to work his way into the rotation, and he's a little bit more of a raw prospect, but. I mean, I, I just the the guy that they pick in this tenth, fourteenth spot, whatever. It just I don't see him getting much opportunity to develop, and they really are starting to become a win now team, even though they have some nice young talent around them. Um, and yeah, I mean, the two teams that I think Holmes helps with is the Bucks and the Lakers. Like I said, I think that he definitely helps you in regards to covering Giannis and Anthony Davis. And those are the two biggest worries to me to the Celtics. Well, I think it's unfair to use Romeo Lankford as an example because he's just been hurt and he's not been good and he's been in the G League. But if you look at players that were drafted around him, I mean, do you really think the Celtics would struggle to find minutes for Tyler Hero or PJ Washington, no. Brandon Clark. Yeah, no, that's I mean, a good point. And Matisse Thybul. Like, you right. think they'd rather have Matisse Thybul right now? He was picked number twenty. Brandon Clark, like you said, like there are like if they're a good player, they make a good pick. He's gonna get minutes on the Celtics. I don't see an issue with that. That's a good point. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's totally fair. And you know, a difference between the Celtics and the Kings is that you do have a little bit more faith in the Celtics front office to make a successful pick at that spot. That's definitely true. And the other argument I think is also if it's not a home run for this season, then you kind of it's kind of like the Spurs thing of like you don't pay the guy, you just get the next one. And I'm not saying it's that easy to just sign the next Rashawn Holmes for a small contract, but again, like you just said, like the Celtics feel like they have a better chance of doing that than most teams. The center position is the easiest to get a bargain at, it feels, these days. It feels like that's definitely the case. If you've got to get a role player in to a position, you probably want it to be center. There could be buyout candidates. It feels like they have the ability to add a center next season fairly easily where you may not want to give up a top potential top 10 pick that's a that's a really good point thing for i think that's a really good point yeah but all in all i'm i'm interested and intrigued and surprised that you brought it up as as a possibility because i had dismissed it out of hand and and i feel foolish for doing so but um it's interesting and yeah i mean i guess speak more towards the king side of it i didn't really have 
any thoughts on that? Just because I didn't think it, that offer would ever be made, but it sounds like you've, you've got a take there. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I think it would be kind of hard to not accept that from Sacramento's side. Um, I mean, I would somewhat understand the argument of keeping Holmes with how successful he's been and since there is not a lot of positives going for this team, I mean, you'd want to keep the, the couple of the lone bright spots around. But, I mean, I, I think more than you do, it seems like I think that Holmes does slow down Bagley's development a little bit here. I think that Bagley is a five. Um, and unless you're just fully putting Holmes in that backup role, but Bagley should be getting a lot of minutes if we're talking about going in this tanking route and really worried about the future as Sacramento probably should be at this point. I think it'd be hard for Sacramento to turn that down. Yeah. I think that Sacramento does take that offer and I think they probably should take that offer if it's out there because of all the things I just said, I do think that the, you know, whatever 13th pick 14th pick, 10th pick even you know whatever 15th pick even all those are are more valuable than a player that is on a very limited short-term contract so yeah for all the reasons I stated I think that would be beneficial to the Kings however I don't agree about Bagley because you and I both said that we see Rashawn Holmes's ultimate kind of position as being uh you know six man you know big man that comes in and wreaks havoc causes havoc you know, still so, plays 25 minutes a game or whatever, but, but Bagley apparently is a four or, you know, at least that's how the team treats him. And there's still another 24 minutes at center. I feel like there's plenty of minutes for Bagley. You, you definitely start Bagley. Sure. Well, so, I mean, our comp for Holmes has always been Montrose Harrell, right? And you're looking at right now, Harrell's playing 28 minutes. And I think part of the reason that Harrell works as this like super sub big is, I mean, Zubak is the guy that's ahead of him. Like, you don't worry about getting Zubak a ton of minutes, you know? And I think that Bagley is eventually going to be playing, you know, 30, 33 minutes a night. And then all of a sudden you're looking at 18, 15 minutes for Holmes there. Right, but you also don't have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George taking up the three, four spots. Like, you know what I mean? That there's still far more minutes to go around. You play them together a little bit, you're saying? Well, sure, but like you could also just play Bagley at the four. Like you could give Bagley, you could give Bagley thirty-six minutes at the four. I mean, if we're really talking about a team that would decide to rebuild, then you try to move Nemanja. Maybe like what you brought up earlier last episode with the to a Celtics for the thirtieth pick or something like that. You know, you move on from the thirty-one-year-old guy, um, and you give Bagley as many minutes as he, his heart desires. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think that's uh 
That's, that's interesting. And actually mentioning the pneumonia thing too. I mean, maybe there's just a whole package where it's pneumonia and homes. And then you're looking at uh, like a second rounder in the Memphis pick or something like that. That's really interesting that uh, there is definitely some trade possibilities between these two teams. And since we're off in the deep end a little bit here, if, if you say that Holmes is out the door as well, how much do you start to consider, you know, I mean, there's this entire tier of this age range um, that we've said is part of the core before, but how much do you consider trying to see what you can get for, uh, Bogdanovich and Buddy Heald next year or like a Harrison Barnes. I mean, if you're going fully young, you know, we've said like, would you do like Matisse Thibel and a top 20 protected uh, Clippers pick from the Sixers? Like, do you just go all in at that point, you know? So that's where I think that everything starts to spiral out of control because it no longer becomes realistic. Like I said, personally, um, I would keep Rashawn Holmes in terms of a rebuild, like you said, is he part of that rebuild? I say yes. That was my response originally. Then we talked about that offer, but that to me is like a, a outlier offer. Like if any player for the Kings is offered, if, if the Kings get any offer that is like an overwhelmingly obvious yes, then I'm going to take that, period. It doesn't matter if it's a rebuild or not. It doesn't matter if it's a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old, whatever. Um, so, but in terms of a rebuild, like the focus or the intention of a rebuild, I would not have homeless be part of that. I would have Corey Joseph and Nemanja Bielitz, as I mentioned, to be part of that. But uh, I, I would not have Bogdanovich healed or homes be part of that. I would not personally. Okay. Yeah. I, I think uh, I understand where you're coming from with that. I mean, they're not like so old that by the time that Fox and Bagley and mainly Bagley, um, really just Bagley at this point become very positive contributors that they wouldn't be um, impact players themselves. They being Barnes healed Bogdanovich. Um, so yeah, I mean, you definitely can have your cake and eat it too in that sense. And you just said it perfectly. Like to me, that's what the point of a Sacramento Kings tank slash retool slash whatever would be about. Um, even retool isn't quite appropriate if you're keeping the same core. But if the Kings were to tank, the point of it is just that. It's to prioritize the window of Fox and Bagley. You, I mean, you can straight up go to those guys and say, listen – we're gonna we're we're listening to offers on on everyone else, but you guys are safe. You're the team, and we're going to purposefully try to move anyone that we think will lose value before you hit your peak potential. So, it works for me where Darren Fox, Marvin Bagley are twenty three, and and you know Barnes, Buddy, and and. Uh, bogey or 30 like that's I think that's what you say like all right this is our goal when Darren Fox is 22 23 Marvin Bagley's 22 23 these guys will just be turning 30 and that's the window and we cap it there uh you know three years and if we can't get it by then you know uh we're all gonna lose our jobs anyway so that's our that's the goal yeah and I mean we're talking about this tanking and sort of optimizing your draft pick do you I mean, if you're in the top here, what point do you, and I know this is a very weak draft and there's not like a consensus number one, and that 
kind of makes this difficult here. It's different if you're tanking for like a clear Zion, Anthony Davis, LeBron James level prospect, but this draft from what I've heard, and again, we'll have someone on to dive into this at some point a little bit later. Um, there's not a consensus number one, and there is a lot of variability and uh, feels like it's going to be a little bit of opinions of the front office. Is there a certain point where you're picking best player available or do you really just look to kind of fill those holes that we've identified before of like a wing and a long-term front court pairing with Bagley? Um, I would say you just go best player available. Um, and that's kind of the point of a tank is to add as much talent as you can and, and not really worry about the rest of it though. I will just say if you're comfortable with it, let's hold off on the draft stuff for a little bit longer um, we're about an hour into recording tonight. I think we could do a whole another podcast on the types of players to to sort of focus in on in the draft. But but I would say just as a rule of thumb that you you go best player available and and maybe that's the type of type of uh, thinking that gets you a Luka Doncic type. I don't know. Yeah, totally fair. Yeah, that was the only question I had on the. Uh on the draft stuff. Didn't even realize we were running about an hour here, but I guess that is going to do it, right? That's all you got for uh, today. I don't think I have anything else for you. Yeah, that's all I've got for today. I, I think that, uh, yeah, I think we start to look at draft picks pretty soon. Maybe the Kings turn it around, go on a winning streak, and we, we can postpone that even further. But my thinking is that by the time the trade deadline expires in two weeks, then we we get really deep into some draft coverage. Yeah. And I'll say one final little quick note. I mean, we still have the trade deadline about two weeks out. Mark Stein's tweeting out that the Clippers are exploring the trade market for dependable size and says the Mavericks are in a similar position after obviously the Achilles injury to Dwight Powell. So definitely going to be keeping an eye on Deadman here. I'm sorry. Did you say dependable or independable? undependable i oh um looking for dependable size good point good point (laughs) sorry (laughs) that took me a second yeah (laughs) no that is a very good point uh who knows what he's viewed as and i think that's kind of interesting is that you know i mean are the sacramento kings having to like dump him almost as if he's this negative salary or how are teams going to be viewing him i was so shook when Chris Kirshner told us that the Hawks would want draft compensation for Deadman. Uh, I, I mean, like, why? Like he's he said like Atlanta wants Dwayne Deadman, and then he's like, but they also want draft pick compensation. I was very shook because if any team in the entire league would give up an asset for Dwayne Deadman, and I mean, I'm not talking like a big asset. I'm talking like you know the 50th pick in like a draft five years from now, like it, it would be Atlanta. I mean, like he would, he could actually help them. They've got, you know, more money than they know what to do with. Dwayne Dedman was very good for them. He would help their team achieve some short-term goals, perhaps help Trey Young develop. Like I was just talking about with their issues at center. It would be the Hawks if anyone were to, give the Kings anything for Dwayne Dedman. It would be the Hawks. And to hear hear Kirshner say, nope, even the Hawks want something to take Dedman, 
that's rough, man. That that is a rough state of affairs for a guy that we were so high on. Yeah, I think it's a leverage thing because I mean the Kings just don't hold any sort of leverage in this situation. They're clearly trying to get rid of Deadman, and that's the only scenario. It's not like you know we'll just play it out with them. We'll hold on to him. We don't mind keeping him. No, they clearly are dumping him at this point. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, we don't need to get into this right now, but yeah, I mean that's that's a that's a horrific failure if, if you sign a guy for the contract and then give up assets to get rid of him. Like that's you can't use cap space less effectively than that. So I don't know. I almost would at that point just say, all right, we're gonna hang on to him. We feel like we've got enough, you know, room to pay Bogey. We feel like we can you know, do the stuff we need to do and we'll move him in the off season or, or we'll, he can just sit here until he improves his attitude. I, I almost would do that. I, I almost would. I mean, if the, if the Kings didn't have 100,000 second round picks and it wouldn't matter to them right. to move them, then I, I would consider that. But. No, you're right. It definitely would be a, a very big failure, especially considering this was our number one guy. Spectacular so, failure. Spectacular failure. Yeah, it'd be very Kings. Very Kings. All right, well. it's going to do it. That's going to do it. Hashtag Kangs. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do anymore. And I apologize if, if these podcasts have become excruciating to listen to. But this is, uh, this is where the Kings are at right now. And like always, um, yeah, I hope it improves. And I hope that we can give you some more positive uh, coverage coming up soon. Yeah. Well, thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Post podcast. Hear from us again in the next couple of days.